0: Where should I sit? Uh, do you want to sit on this one? Yeah, I'll put my stuff in the corner. Yeah.
1: My guest this episode was very, very chill and friendly when I interviewed her recently.
0: Introduce oh, yourself uh, my then. name is Candice Carty-Williams. Um, it's a very nice day today, the sun's out, it's quite
1: hot. You'd have no idea upon first hearing her that she is one of the buzziest authors of the moment with the best-selling fiction debut on her hands. But that is exactly who Candice Cardi williams is. And today, we talk about her moment and her very, very buzzy book. It's called Queenie. Hi. Hey. Are we good?
0: And we'll go to my side.
1: I'm Sam Sanders. You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Now, this book, Queenie, it has been called a Black Bridget Jones Diary. The main character, Queenie, she's a 25-year-old Black woman living in London, and she is not having a very good year. She has a job at a newspaper, but she hates it. She's got a close circle of friends, but she kind of hates them too. She's got a long-term boyfriend, and he just dumped her. It's a lot. And in this book, Queenie tells all. The opening scene, for instance, in the first chapter, it has Queenie in stirrups at an OBGYN's office, having a most awkward exam. But the thing about Queenie is that this book is hilarious all the way through. In spite of the oversharing, in spite of the drama, often because of the oversharing and the drama. Candice Cardi-Williams and I talk about all of that and more here. Interracial dating, family drama, generational trauma, how your 20s are just a hot mess, et cetera. It's a lot. It's a good chat. Okay, let's get to it. As a warning, listeners, we do discuss sex and dating in this episode a lot. It's probably not best for kids, okay? All right, here's Candice. She was in London. I was in L.A., Enjoy. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're super busy with the book rollout and audiobook rollout. Uh, but, two, just thank you for the book. I devoured it on Aww. vacation recently. And Aww. what I also enjoyed uh, were the credits and the thank yous and acknowledgements in your book. Oh, I yeah. found out by reading them that we both like the same podcast. The read. oh my
0: god it's just my dream thing. i was saying to, i have a, a best have one of my best friends um we were talking about the read and i just called her up just out of nowhere and i was like i just want to talk about the fact that we're just so lucky to have this because how lucky are we to have yes. like two people who every week talk about the things that we want to talk about
1: yeah what i, I so for me it's like all of them are good, but there's some episodes that they do where I'm just like put this in the library of Congress right now. Yes. Like when they the first episode they had after Beyoncé's Coachella set <laughs> I was a year about
0: ago. To say the same thing. The Coachella yeah. episode was literally <laughs> I think I played it 3 times. Yeah, I still play it now. I played it after watching Homecoming, yeah. and listen, so listen to them talking about each <laughs> and homecoming. Yes. I would pay for the read. I would pay. I would pay yes. money every week for it. Yes, I am obsessed. I honestly, it's like probably the most uh, consistent thing in my life. Really, and I'm so grateful. Yeah,
1: I love to hear that. I was thinking more about uh, us both liking this podcast, and what I love about that show, and what I found in reading your book was this similarity. You know, the podcast is led by two queer black people Mm -hmm. and the whole show is about them talking about what they want to talk about and not over explaining themselves Mm -hmm. or their culture just to compensate for someone else's ignorance like the read is just unabashedly black on Mm -hmm. purpose but Mm -hmm. still accessible to everybody which is kind of what i felt with your book this is a book that is black on purpose but not just for black people
0: For sure and that's the thing I was talking to someone about that at lunchtime today it's you know I can only and will only write through the lens that I know and understand and also you know in terms of the culture that is I guess the mainstream here which is still uh, white western culture I've had to do so much learning around stuff that I don't understand or Mm. stuff that isn't part of my culture Mm. and so yeah it's all part of it it's kind of like you know if I've had to learn these things then so should you and that's fine Yeah.
1: And it can still be a fun read and it can still be accessible because, like, a lot of the stuff that all of us go through, like, bad sex and bad dates in our 20s, that's
0: for Mm -hmm. everybody. (laughs)
1: Like, it's just for everybody.
0: It's true. No no one can escape it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So we should take a step back and just set up the book, Queenie, as best we can without giving everything away. Describe in about, like, 45 seconds what the book is.
0: So Queenie is about a black British woman um, living in South London. She is 25 and we basically meet her when she's about to have what I can describe best as a quarter-life crisis. Um, Mm. So she is living with her partner, um, who is white, um, and when their relationship hits a bit of a, well, a big rock, um, things start to unravel for her. Uh, things in the past that she's been pushing down come out. And she basically goes on a big, messy spiral, but it's fun. Um, <laughs> and they're a really fun uh, set of uh, supporting characters helping her through it. Yes. Um, and so she is, you know, and also, you know, Queenie, she is, she's meant to be frustrating and she's meant to be quite irritating because she is in this period of her life where she's like I don't know what's going to happen and I'm really scared and so I'm just reaching out and pulling on to everything and anyone that I can um, so I don't fall
1: yeah when you say that queenie is meant to be frustrating and irritating mm. how do you like is there ever a fear that you're giving readers too much cuz you cuz you're saying all right queenie's going to be unashamedly black And also frustrating and also irritating. I could see some publishing houses saying, I don't know, Candice, might be too much. (laughs) Did you get any pushback like that?
0: Uh, No, I didn't actually, which is really nice.
1: Uh,
0: (laughs) um, But I think it's also because, you know, I really did set out to have a character who... Was not. She was black and she did not have to be strong. She did not have to be sassy. She did not have to click her fingers. She was somebody who was going through stuff. And actually, I think there is a lot about women being likable that I kind of, push against myself uh, because I think that women just in our everyday lives we have to be polite we have to be likable, we have to be nice Um, uh, and I think that we can be many things um, but we also don't have to adhere to social norms just to get through the day I think if you're feeling something you're feeling it and you have to go through what you're going through I'm a nice person but there (laughs) are you know I but I also have boundaries and I don't take a lot of rubbish. Yeah, Queenie Queenie has
1: very few boundaries. <laughs> yeah.
0: Very few boundaries. Um but yeah, so no pushback from that actually. My editors were really kind of like, yeah, this girl is kind of going through her thing and she's kind of got to be this person who is gonna kind of split the crowd.
1: Yeah. Uh you this book has been called for a few, for a while now, the Black Bridget Jones Diary, which is actually mm. a descriptor that you came up with yourself, from what I was reading.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, tell me why you did it, and tell me if that comparison and, and that labeling ever tires you.
0: So it's interesting. A lot of uh, people have been like, "You're doing the book a huge disservice by saying that." <laughs> um, but I think just because you know, obviously, like shout out to Bridget Jones's Diary by Helen Fielding, an amazing book, an amazing yeah. film. Yeah, um, but. In terms of the comparison, that was me being like, I know that publishers are going to be quite scared of this because mm. we don't have any really in the commercial space at the moment mainstream books by mm. black women. And I mean black on both sides. So my both of my mm. parents mm. are black. I do not have fair skin. I do not have loose curls. I do not have freckles. I am black on both sides. And um, mm. and by saying, look, this is like, you know, hopefully going to be a commercial success. Yeah. That was the Bridget Jones effect that was my like stealth that was like my sneaking Uh into a but yeah so i mean it worked out well i got it through the door (laughs) 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 and so it's it's all going well it's all going well
1: does that stealthifying though ever get tiring because black people have to do it all all the time like how do i present myself in a way that they get that doesn't Mm. offend them that doesn't make them stop and scratch their head and like You want to do it so your work and you have the greatest reach, but also some days are you just like, I mean, I find myself being just like, I don't want to to do it today.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of code switching is the main thing. So obviously speaking differently and I'm speaking like this because I'm doing a podcast. So I need to be proper. (laughs) Wait, no, no, no. Stop,
1: stop, stop. Give me some (laughs) improper candies for just a little bit. We can go there. We're the Slightly Drunk NPR podcast. We're like a little bit buzzed. That's our vibe. So feel free to okay, well, let it I all drop it. hang I out. I could
0: drop it a bit. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, no, no, no. so basically it's just, um, so there is code switching, which is, and also just like in terms of dress. So basically I will always wear, I will mainly wear a tracksuit because I just want to be comfortable. Yeah. Um, But, i have to when you like when you do these things you have to like be acceptable just like appearance wise and voice wise you have to make sure you say the right things Mm. and so like when you're doing press that's like a triple think because you're like okay so i've also got to not swear and i have got to like not give things away and i've got to think about who my audience are going to be and so yeah so it's a really like you know it is a lot of work a lot of the time but i talk to like my friends who like i speak to my actor friends basically who like Mm. Have been doing this and kind of uh, shaping how, have helped me to shape how I can see myself and yeah. understanding, like, you know, your identity and what that can mean. But what's their um, biggest
1: tip on all of that?
0: Uh, it is that being all things for people isn't sustainable. Mm and that's really helpful because I go to so here obviously I do lots and lots of events and even if I'm like exhausted I'll be like all right, do it because there's going to be like three or four black girls in the crowd who are going to be grateful that you've gone there Mm. Um, so yeah so it's a lot so it's all been a good time but it's also a lot of work and a lot of like policing yourself in ways just so you know also my nan is watching all this stuff and you have to (laughs) have to like I can't
1: keep (laughs) be slipping
0: (laughs) (laughs) exactly she's so strict so really? yeah exactly yeah the book in itself like I was I gave her a copy and I was like but you can't read it but you can't have it in the house <laughs> did she and read she was it like, no she hasn't because <sighs> she knows that she was like I don't want to be I don't wow. want any reason to dis- to be disappointed so wow. yeah
1: <laughs> do you think she'll will you allow her at some point to read it and will she ever read it
0: I don't know I think she might you know she might do a sneak read and never talk to me about it and wow. that's fine okay but my my mum like is kind of my mum doesn't read she's dyslexic so she's uh-huh. like it's quite hard so it's like it's like effort for her to read so she's like oh can you know I'm trying and you know I've liked what I've read and she's on page like seven or something <laughs> get, her um, <laughs> get her that audiobook get her that audiobook oh my god that's such a good point she does thanks I reckon I get her an audible credit yeah um, and my sister is 20 and We do not talk about anything to do with men, really. And so Mm. I'm a bit like, read it, but we won't talk about it. And she's like, all right, understood. I mean, she's 20, but I see her as like, you know, a child. Oh, you always will. She's
1: a younger sister. Yeah, exactly. So as you deal with family reading or possibly reading this book, I'm sure one question they'll be asking you and probably a question a lot of folks are asking you is how much of Queenie is you?
0: Basically, I have I have a really vivid imagination in that if I say I like meet someone at the bus stop, I can then sit if I'm bored and like reimagine our whole lives um, (laughs) together. up until death yeah seriously in my mind I'm married five (laughs) times a day (laughs) exactly and so it really comes from that so it's kind of like okay so a few experiences I had a few dates I went on a few people that I know but also you know it is a work of fiction and there's nothing in that that I could be like yeah, this this is part of my life and Queenie is like very far from me I'm really Mm. considered I'm really careful Um, my heart is like very guarded you know like I'm just we're very different people and she's a kind of I guess maybe she was me if I let myself be vulnerable and I let myself go. Mm. Um, so she's yeah, she's a she's a different version, but I don't really see my I don't really see myself in her, and I too find her frustrating because <laughs> someone actually described her the other day as like the frustrating friend that you love loads, oh, um, yeah. and they, they will always ask for your advice and you'll give it to them even though you and know, know you're not do gonna, do they know it. they're not going to take it. Um, you were
1: saying in one interview that I was reading up on that.
0: That, you, that she's perhaps more fun, but you're more stable. <laughs> I mean, I oh, sure. I mean, not, I'm not that much more stable, but my instability <laughs> does not affect my actions. Yeah, which...
1: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> All right, time for a break. When we come back, why Candice, unlike Queenie in her book, has sworn off dating white guys? As a warning, there'll be some more sexual discussion in there too, listeners. Okay, BRB. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. With the Capital One Saver card, you can earn 4% cash back on dining and entertainment. That means 4% on checking out that new French restaurant and 4% on bowling with your friends. You'll also earn 2% cash back at grocery stores and 1% on all other purchases. Now when you go out, you cash in. Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. No matter what you've got planned, you need a song of the summer. This week on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we are rounding up experts from NPR Music. We will play a ton of songs to lift your spirits, and you might even find your next favorite artist. That's NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. Listen and subscribe now. One of the things I wondered if there was commonality in was the, complicated, uh, the complications of Queenie dating white men. Is that something mm. that you've experienced too?
0: yeah for sure. um I don't date white men anymore haven't for a while um, okay. and actually my, my sorry my old- guys. <laughs> Honestly, there aren't going to be many people complaining. Um, My older brother runs my website. He's like 38. Mm -hmm. And he's had to send me, like, in a really exasperated way, all of the weird emails I get from white men who are like, hi, read your interview. Don't agree with what you're saying. Here's why I think you could date me. Here is my value, sexual and otherwise. And it's just like, I'm always like, Claude, I'm so sorry. You do not have to send me these. But he's like, no, no, it's fine. It's funny.
1: But um, How do you feel when you get those? you? because I mean, on the one hand you can say like well I appreciate these men for trying but on the other hand back back.
0: I just love I, just, I think also because it's coming through my brother I can't <laughs> see them as anything but like jokes <laughs> because wow. I can't be like okay great I'll email him but I also wouldn't anyway but I was talking about it the other day I mean if, I talk about this I mean having written a novel people want to talk about these things all the time now but in terms of um, interracial dating I, I have done it um, and Yeah, we all have, right? I mean, (laughs) I mean, there are some nice instances, but also, you know, like I found it to be a lot of work a lot of the time, and I think that a relationship. Is work all the time, but it shouldn't be in that way. And I don't, I just think it's tiresome having to explain why things impact you and affect you all the time and why certain words aren't nice. And you just kind of, it's like, kind of like, why am I doing it? And then, like, you know, you, you, you start like dating black people and you're like, yeah. I don't have to do this work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I know, I know and love many interracial. Couples, yeah. not in a threesome way, just in a, they're my friend's way. <laughs> yes, um, yes, yes. But, yeah. you know, and I really love and respect them. But I just think for me, the work mm-hmm. that I've done also, I'm a super, super, super se- sensitive person. Um, and I get really quickly exhausted by having to do that work. Yeah. And I'm just kind of, you know, it's just, it feels yeah. like it's, you know.
1: Not to like cape for the straight white men out there. They're fine. But like, is there a reality in which a white guy who really gets it and doesn't need the handholding, would he have a chance with you?
0: I'm yet to meet him. If I'm there. I there. <laughs> I don't know. if I will. Um, but I don't know. I don't. You know what? I don't. I don't think so. Okay. And I think. I mean, it's kind of. I don't know. I guess maybe I've let past experiences just d- define the future. But. Um, I don't think so. It would have to. It would have to depend.
1: Was there a particular moment or time or bad dating experience in which you said, "That's it, no more of them"? Or was it a gradual realization? Or
0: it was a gradual thing. And then it was talking to my black female friends and us basically comparing and contrasting the ways that white guys saw us and spoke to us. And I was made. I made certain to talk to black girls my black female friends of all body types so I'm a curvy girl um I spoke to one of my friends who is like petite one who's like athletic build one Mm -hmm. who's like sim thick and the thing we had in common was the way that guys approached us on dating sites especially was so about our bodies and our skin Mm. and what we could do for them sexually and basically it was just kind of a discussion we were just like what where is the hope Especially in Britain. I mean, I'm sure, it, it, you know, every place is different. Um, and I think, you know, app culture is so huge here. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, I was talking to someone about mixers, that uh, th- a thing, and she said she went to New York and there were these mixers. And we were <laughs> just like, haha, that could never happen here because everyone is super awkward. And yeah. like the idea that you would be like out and being like, hi, yes, I'm single. Or, I'd like to mix with someone else single. We, it's like, Brits are just like, we're, no, that's terrifying, mortifying, let's just look at our phones.
1: Yeah. In a previous interview, you said that one of the storylines that inspired how you wrote about dating mm. Queenie was this real-life situation. You and a white girlfriend both mm. matched with the same white man, and he said drastically yeah. different introductory messages to the both of you. Talk oh, about that. Sure. like what? So, yeah. so same guy, but he reaches out to you, a black woman, and to your mm-hmm. friend, a white woman. What does he uh-huh. say to
0: each of you? <laughs> So my friend Lydia, who is like so amazing, mm. um, we were like, you know, just exchanging like, you know, pictures one day. We were like, okay, look at this guy. What do you think of this guy? And then we basically realized that we we're talking about the same person. And it's one guy whose name I always nearly say. Oh, <laughs> like, just I say that. it. Come on. Um, <laughs> no, I know. I, re- I really cannot. I really don't want to get sued. Okay, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we realized we're talking to the same person. And... It was two different apps. So on the app that she had and had connected with him on, it was one of those ones where it was like, you're close by, uh, it's happen. Okay. And so you pop up in each other's feeds when you're like, you know, within a certain radius or you pass each other by. And the one I was talking to him was, okay, Cupid. And that is um, oh, basically, I know, okay, you know we all know it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Um, so like basically username based. So this guy had a username and I didn't know his name for a long, he wouldn't tell me his name. Um, but... When she was talking to him, he had his name up, his profile, his job. Um, and he said, Oh, hey, I see that you work with kids too. My name is. Um, it'd be really great to go for a drink sometime. Like, I just, you know, love to get to know mm-hmm. you. And to me, he said, Hey, do you want to take a day off work so I can f- you? Woo! And I was like, Oh, uh, no. <laughs> um, and I sh- I mean, I showed it and She was like, okay, I'm not going to meet him But then we were just like, let's carry on talking to him Because I was like, let's see if he continues uh-huh. And we were like, let's carry on talking to him And see what his approaches are And so we then started sending him the same messages Stop And so he would continue to basically uh, sexualise me And with her, he would continue to be like Hey, it would be so good to grab that coffee Like, we're going wow. to talk about these things in real life And. We basically shut the whole thing down when one evening he sent me a picture of himself. I mean, it's quite, imagine the angles. He (laughs) sent me a picture from his phone Uh, of himself, uh penis in hand, masturbating to pictures of me on his computer screen from my profile. And we were just like, okay. Abort mission, this is done. Yeah. It was really, really bad. It was bad. And so, yeah, when you get things like that, it's kind of like, and so basically, yeah, this, that's why one of the storylines came about. It's not imagined in the same way. It's completely different. Yeah. But it's the idea that this guy would treat two girls completely differently based on his societal understanding of what a black woman can give him and what a white women can. Man, it's got
1: to be over time just demoralizing.
0: It's demoralising and also just it just does have an effect on your value as a person. Um And so like, you know, like just dating now for myself is like, it's so weird when people are like, no, I'm into you. I'm like, what? <laughs> really? <laughs> really? <laughs> but for real? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, because I guess like when you've had years of people just being like, "All I, hey, all I'd want to do is have sex with you and like maybe chat to you a bit and, you know, and I've had hundreds of messages at this point the book's been out for i don't know like eight weeks in the states maybe seven or eight and four here and i have had hundreds maybe almost a thousand messages genuinely wow um from young women who were like i am queenie i have lived this i have known this this is people sending me like screen grabs of bits that they can relate to sending me messages they've had from guys i've had like the full spectrum of girls and some guys being like, I have understood this and I have been this and I'm really grateful and I'm less lonely now. And that was really what I wanted to do. I wanted people to be less lonely in this stuff that all goes on, I guess, very much behind closed doors and on our phones. And, you know, luckily I have friends that I can be like, hey, look at this that this guy sent me. But loads of people don't. And we forget that. Loads of people take that on and they're embarrassed and they're ashamed and they think it's Mm -hmm. their fault.
1: Yeah. So then what advice do you have... For those readers writing in with some of these stories, for Queenie herself dealing with this stuff in the book, what's your advice on dealing with what we've just been speaking about?
0: I would say you have to talk about it, no matter, no matter how hard it might be. And I think if you are affected by these things, which we often are really affected by them, and we do carry them, we do take them on, and I think... Talking about them is the way that you're going to do that, and I do think I mean therapy is just um, come out and Listen. I need to. I yes. honestly, it's just you got to get in there seriously. Yeah. You know, I think that it's really easy to want to be a pinnacle of strength who can just deal with it all, but. That's not real. So I think talking is like my one thing. And then just being the person that you are is another thing and not being afraid of that and not being afraid of being vulnerable.
1: Yeah. You know, hearing you say that, I thought of what was my favorite line from the book. When was it Queenie's aunt? She says to Queenie's mother about Queenie who was struggling. She says, being brave isn't the same as being okay. Right. And I was like, yeah.
0: Yeah. All of that stuff with her, all the scenes with her mum, they were hard. They were really, really hard yeah. to write. My relationship with my mum yeah. is like entirely different to that. But basically, what I wanted to explore in that family were the generational dynamics of strength mm. and how strength can can or not having strength or trying to be strong can really alter you. So you have Queenie's grandma who's like, "I'm really strong and I've managed everything," and Queenie like, "Nothing's wrong with you," but actually, someone who is carrying a lot of stuff and isn't able to even talk to her family about how they feel. And that damages them.
1: All right, one more break here. When we come back, Queenie heads to television. And there's one thing Candice says she will not change about this character when that happens. BRB. Hear the stories behind the songs that rally communities large and small across America. Listen and subscribe to All Songs Considered, through line and Alt Latino for a closer look at songs from NPR's American Anthem series. How much of what Queenie is going through about being black, about being a woman, and how much of it is about just going through your early to mid-20s and how that is just always for everyone a hot mess?
0: Isn't it such a mad time? I, so I'm turning crazy. 30 this year. And I'm like, thank you. I'm like, Get it away! I just I (laughs) get me away from my twenties. I'm not interested anymore. Yeah. Um. I really just I just want to be out of them. I had a friend, one of my best friends, was turned thirty, and she was crying all week. And I was like, I don't know what you're crying for. Um. (laughs) But I think it. You know what? I think it's that thing when you feel like you're meant to be an adult. And also, I think it's really vital to note that you leave all of these institutions that you've been in since you were a child, Mm -hmm. um, where you have your structures. So obviously, like you know, over here, they tell you what to do. They tell you how to be they tell you what your goals are your ambitions are your grade point average i understand you guys have your gpo Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know you have all of those things and then suddenly it's time to get a job and you're like sorry hmm?" Mm, because you (laughs) don't where do i who gives me the job where's my guidance counselor (laughs) exactly and actually you hit the world. Running in a way, but actually you don't run at all. You end up stopping and being like, oh, wait, oh, oh, what, you know? And so I think there's this really, it's this really weird space that feels like limbo, but you actually have no idea where you're going. Yes. And so I think early 20s are a really tough time because you are definitely not yet an adult. And I'm still learning things now about myself, about how the world works, about my feelings around things, about how to navigate things. Oh, yeah. I was not equipped for anything when I was yes. in my early 20s, but yes. I, I expected to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that expectation is what really knocks you, on your, uh, yeah. you know, off your feet. Oh, yeah.
1: I am 34 now, going on 35. Very and nice. I just six months ago began to feel like a grown-ass man.
0: Yeah, like, there's I something think, that, yeah. Y-
1: y- you just, like, and on top of the complications of being a child in your 20s, but, like, with a beard or, like, fully developed, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is weird, you, like, also have that wonderful early to mid-20s-somethings feeling of somehow knowing everything and knowing Mm. that everyone else before has done it wrong and if you could just do it your way and show them they'd all get it and I think the moment when I began to just settle down and like ease into the ride was was when I said maybe I'm not better or smarter than everyone else and maybe Mm -hmm. a lot of folks have gone through the same thing before and maybe the difference that I make in the world will be a slight move to the left or right but I might not reinvent the wheel
0: and maybe that's okay. It's about being realistic, right? It's about being like, I can only do what I can do. Um, And also understanding that actually there are, it's really weird because I think we do believe a lot of stuff that we think just as people because all we have is our thoughts, right? Like at a a very base level. Um, And I think when you hear them enough, you're kind of like, oh no, no, that's right. I'm true. I can do all of that stuff, but that's not real. And I think there always needs to be space for other considerations. But I do think that as we get older, we do make space for that because... We've got to make mistakes in order to get there.
1: I want to talk a little bit about how you got to be a best selling author because just before this book was done and actually while you were writing the book, you were also doing a day job as like a marketing executive.
0: Which I still do now. Look at you. Mm, I'm leaving in one week. (laughs) In a week. At the end of this week. Yeah, I'm leaving at the end of this week. It's gonna be new life.
1: How do you feel about that?
0: I feel good about it. I feel good because it means I can now concentrate on writing full time. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, when I started out writing, I hadn't written at all. And I was like, I can understand. I can see that there's this gap in the market where, you know, someone like me would love to read a book about herself. So why don't you just write it? Mm -hmm. And so I went away for a week and I uh, just like started banging it out. And um, at the end of the first week, I would written 40,000 words. And then... Wait, Stop.
1: The, tell everyone your secret, <laughs> please.
0: Basically, I I'm just—it's really bad. I just basically just—I write at night time exclusively, huh. and so I'm just nocturnal anyway. Huh. Um, and so I settle down to write at about wow. midnight, and then I look up, and it's seven a.m. <gasps> and so yeah, I just write and write, and I write really quickly. I write so quickly that sometimes i trip over the first sentence and then just write the second and then go back and finish the one that I was writing first because my brain uh, just moves super quick time. You must be um, an editor's
1: dream. You're like, oh, you want to copy? What? I, I really, got
0: it. Do you know what? They are so lucky to have me and I really hope they <laughs> listen to this because genuinely, they'll be like, hi, here are your edits. Like, hear from you like in a few months and, and like, in three weeks, I'll be like, hi guys, just let me know what you think. Like, you know, I'm just like, I'm the same time. I just done what you said and I've added a few flourishes.
1: Wow. Um,
0: but I just really like it and once I get into the world, I can see it all and I'm very firmly in there and because I can sit for hour-long periods and I can just write, I think that's really, really helped me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Queenie is becoming a TV show, right?
0: Yeah. So I just I think I don't think I'm even allowed to say this yet. but Yes.
1: Well, I saw it um, on the internet, so.
0: I know. Yeah, I think basically I said basically everyone asks, and I've said I've said it. I really started it in like a really like roundabout like, yes, she will have another life at some point in some different format, and now I'm just kind of like, yeah, it. She's gonna
1: be a TV show. <laughs> Um, because, That's scary, yeah. no? How much do you, like, Like, are you worried about losing some of her or some of her changing? Because you you hand you, you give away some of the ownership of this idea to let a uh, production company and TV network make a thing.
0: Well, I'm writing it. Okay. So <laughs> she is not going to change too much, don't worry. Uh, no, I'm really excited because it means that I get to give her a different, I get, I get to give her, like, a whole new format and like you yeah. know obviously tv is such a different thing and they need they need to be different like hooks and like maybe new characters you know like you know when someone's bought the book they bought the book uh-huh. but you know i need to give people reason to keep tuning in mm-hmm. um and so it's exciting thinking about the things that i'm gonna put her through week after <laughs> week to keep them watching don't make um, when you suffer too much Uh, I might Uh, But no So I think it's And also get to introduce Like new characters Like I'm going to give her Like a nice love interest Nice black boy Um, And so I'm really Really excited I'm really Really excited I mean it's going to be Like you know like Working with the TV network Is like you know It's a real thing Yeah um, Because it's a whole Different set of people And like uh, you know You've got a production company You've got to please You've got a network You've got to please Mm -hmm. And so that is going to be Work And I've Mm -hmm. already Had to be quite firm About things uh. Um, and so... Like what? Um, like... Oh, I don't know if I can say it. Um, I've had to... Forget, so basically, just just making sure that Queenie is, like, a... a you know, like, in the first instance, that, like, yeah, Queenie's going to be a black woman. She's not going to be a mixed race, you know?
1: They wanted to make Queenie mixed race.
0: Not the, not the people that I'm working with. But okay. I have... I had production companies coming to me with different names of people that should... Be playing her, and I was like, wow, oh. this is what I'm going to be in for. And they so, they wanted someone
1: light skinned to play her
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: when she's like,
0: decidedly dark skinned. She is decidedly dark, she is, and that was that's there's that's never going to ch- wow. like that's yeah. you know, yeah, that's who she um, is. Um, that's who she is, and that's who she's going to be. And so, it's things like that, even just at that level, that I'm having to. I'm, I mean, I've got I'm going to have like battles on my hands, but yeah. um. I'm ready for them because, you know, I understand who she is and and what she needs to be.
1: Well, I look forward to watching it. Um, Thank you so much. My last question for you, before I let you go. What do you think Queenie is doing right now?
0: What is Queenie doing right now? So she is 20, she's 26. Mm -hmm. And I think that she's okay. She's not great. She's never going to be perfect, like none of us are. Yeah. Um... But I, I think she's gonna I think she's going on a date this evening with someone who's being nice to her. And I love nice. that. I love that. I think that's what she's doing. She's going on she's getting she's she's at work and she's nervous because she's got a nice date at 6.30 in an hour.
1: Uh, tell her only three sprays of cologne, no more. Or perfume <laughs> rather. Sorry. <laughs> that's my rule.
0: That's actually a really good rule. I'm gonna I'm gonna employ that myself.
1: Have fun tonight, Queenie. Candice, thank you so much. I really
0: appreciate thank, it. Thank you, Sam.
1: Thanks again to Candice Cardi-Williams. Her debut novel is called Queenie. And thanks to our friends at the BBC in London, NPR's Frank Langfitt and Sophie Eastaw with the BBC. You actually heard Sophie in the introduction to this chat, talking to Candice. All right, listeners, coming up this 4th of July weekend, we are all taking some time off to enjoy the holiday. That means, instead of a weekly wrap this week, we're gonna serve up an episode with three of my favorite music chats. We're going to have conversations and music from Emily King, Nick Hakeem, and Sid, formerly of Odd Future, three of my favorite working musicians out in the game right now. It's like perfect content for a long holiday weekend drive. Okay? Check for that. Happy 4th in advance. Thank you for listening. Talk soon.